What's up? Um, I mean, it's finals week here for people who are still oh, in yeah. college. Yeah, um, uh, I imagine you're going through much of the same. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, you know I don't other under the other other side of the fence though. The but. other side of the table, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't really give exams, but uh, certainly final papers and projects are going to be coming in in the next few days. So it's actually mm-hmm. a little bit of a lull uh, right now. I'll get the deluge starting on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Did you get a ch- did you get a chance to uh, or, or, did you teach weird cinema again this semester? Uh, no, and so that was a, a senior seminar, probably a one off thing. Although I guess oh. there's a possibility that I would redesign it as a more of an intro class, um, and then um, and then offer it maybe in uh, every other year or something like that. But I, I teach weird fiction still. Um, right now I'm teaching uh, classical Hollywood cinema and then a feature screenwriting course. Wow. That is so neat. That sounds, yeah, no, it really is. <laughs> like every every everyone else we've had on this show is like either in college, a recent graduate of college, or like didn't go to college sure. and like yeah. the, and and you know you're just like the most probably the most accomplished person we've had on the show. Well, <laughs> maybe in certain spheres, right? You know, let's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's yeah. all relative, but <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so did you, you, you said, sorry, did you say this semester you're teaching Hollywood cinema? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just finished up classical Hollywood cinema and I rotate that. That's a, every other spring. Uh, right. Yeah. Thing. I think I took, I took that before you were at Clarkson. I yeah. Remember, probably but, from Professor Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can't really get, in, we can't really get into that on the show because that's going to be just like a little bit too foreign. For right, yeah. <laughs> Inside baseball, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That's not what we want. Um, but yeah, no, that was a that was a really interesting class. I made a really embarrassing student film that I still have access to <laughs> as, as part of the final project. We might put that in the show notes. Excellent. Oh. Uh, so Blair, are you? I, I know this has been. I know this was like up in the air for you for a while. Are you done this semester, or do you still have one more to go? I have a whole year to go. I thought I was going to. Oh, be done. I. Th- Next semester. Um, oh no, that's and then everything just went to hell, right? Yeah, because the the math department isn't doesn't want me to take my minor all in like the span of two semesters. Oh god! <laughs> so I'm kind of struggling with that, but yeah, you know red tape's a nightmare. Yeah, but that that's life no sometimes, good. you know. The, sometimes it just be like that. Sometimes you just got to do the whole four years. <laughs> sometimes. <sighs> and where are you, Blair? Um, I'm in Minnesota. I am at the uh, St. Cloud State University. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. A, a, a grip from where you're at, but that's cool. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so welcome to Fear Rating, everyone. It's your number one very thinly veiled uh, allegory for mental illness podcast in America. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm Blair. I'm Luna, and we're joined by a very special guest, the person that I kind of credit for getting me into horror remotely, uh, Professor Brian Hauser of, from Clarkson University. Hello. Um, so when we, like, have new guests on the show, a thing we mm-hmm. like to do is just, like get an introduction of who they are but also like their you know relationship with horror like their favorite tropes and subgenres with 
horror or their favorite movies or something like that. So if you could, yeah, like the like like the examples we always give is that Blair is a huge uh, found footage fan. I really like home invasion stuff mainly just because I like the happy endings that most often come out of home invasions as opposed <laughs> yeah. to the rest of the films in the genre. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, first, let me just say it's a real pleasure um, to be here. I'm, I'm so uh, grateful and, and happy and excited that you invited me to be on Fear Baiting. So, um, so thanks. Um, I have been kind of in love with horror for a really long time. Um, I think, uh, and, and long enough that I don't, I probably can't speak authoritatively about where I found that, that passion. Mm-hmm. I was very, very small. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've always really been interested in um, the sort of darker stories um, and Halloween tales uh, and things like that. And I, and I recall um, really being fascinated when I was very young, this is maybe embarrassing now, by the, the sort of darker 1970s Disney live action films, right? So sure. Like Escape to Witch Mountain and things like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe even the darker moments okay. of films that weren't supposed to be particularly dark. Um, but then that was also just, you know, lots of... Uh, Halloween stuff that's always been my favorite holiday season and uh, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the commercialization stuff. So, yeah. you know, over time that really built into um, uh, a love affair with, uh, as Luna knows, the weird. Um, yeah. And so, you know, these are, I much prefer dread to horror. Um, mm-hmm. when, I was a, when I was a teenager, I grew up, uh, well, as an adolescent in the 80s, um, and so certainly, like, I watched my share of slasher films, um, but it, that they never really appealed to me in the way that, that other maybe more complicated, dread-filled, uh, and, and I thought accomplished uh, cinema really was, right? And so The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and, um, mm-hmm. and John Carpenter's The Thing, which I know you've, mm-hmm. you've done, um, you know, mm-hmm. films like that really uh, were the ones that, that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Um, yeah. but in a way that I wanted to keep coming back to. And, and so that, over the years, also turned into a real interest in the, the literature on which a lot of that is based. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really where I am. I have probably a sort of fairly broad knowledge about horror in general, um, but that's, that's, my, that's my corner of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's like, that's kind of fascinating to think about because it's, it's like being interested in like a certain feeling that horror evokes, I think yeah. is pretty neat. You know, I don't know. I think I appreciate the idea that someone is studying horror in a sort of academic context, mm-hmm. because I feel like it kind of gets segregated to a sort of low art yeah. kind of section. Not, not all, not across the board, but you know, in a lot of cases I feel, you know, there's a lot of schlock out there, but I think there's, a lot to say about schlock, you know? <laughs> there is. Yeah, there is. We, we, de- we dedicate the entirety of October to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, there's, like, I think the re- I think I, we've talked about this before, I know, but the reason that horror, at least in my opinion, gets kind of relegated to that sort of low art, quote-unquote, is because, like, there's not a lot of, like, budget, like, you can't, like, it's hard. Well, budget is a thing. Like you can't like make it big and like, like you can like make a big blockbuster like action movie. I'm not saying that's like high art, but I'm saying it's like a a big art. A big right? art. You can't really... <laughs> Sorry, my <laughs> my dad's in the same room as me. <laughs> He's doing taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but you can't like a 
it's like gotta be there's no space for budget in horror really and like there are some exceptions to that rule like a, a lot of james wan films i know we mentioned him a lot like he's probably put he probably puts the most money into horror movies that i see with few exceptions yeah. mm-hmm. um but like there's just the audience isn't always super interested in the slow burn that like you know when you think of arts when you think of art films you think of like kind of like quiet muted like i think Varying opinions on how good of a movie it was, but, like, Manchester by the Sea is, like, the movie that I think of when I think art movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because it's just, it's really quiet, it's muted, not a lot happens. And I liked it, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this, like, as, like, a detriment to it, but, like, that really doesn't have a place in the, po- as far as popular horror goes. And, of course, there are exceptions to that rule, like, you know, Blair, your favorite Blair Witch Project. Uh-huh. Um, this movie we watched today, Babadook. Uh-huh. Um, I don't really have an end to this stint since I'm just kind of rambling and I kind of need an, I don't, I'm trying to find the offering here. Well, in terms of budget, right? I mean, you, you sort of got yeah. into this with budget. Um, we find like really huge spectacle films. Like, so say Chris Nolan's going to make, or has made Dunkirk, right? And so, you know, war film, yeah. huge budget, but also... Hacksaw Ridge. Right. People are going to think about that as being very artful or Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. These are, these are relatively big budget films. Um, that are trying to say something, right? Um, and they're often very philosophical. And so horror often gets put alongside, you know, we, as we talked about um, in class, Linda Williams would call it a, a body genre. It's a film right, that tries yeah. to evoke a bodily reaction. And so it, it gets relegated to the same kind of low status, frankly, as pornography, right? That is interested mm-hmm. in, in sort of titillating or arousing um, and or, or comedy that just wants to make you laugh. We mm-hmm, we hold mm-hmm. a sort of special place for comedy, I think, because it's making us laugh. Um, but you know, the the people who want to be scared are often viewed with a certain kind of suspicion, right? That mm-hmm. how is that how is that entertaining? Um, why would you want to do that? It's you need to explain it in ways you don't need to explain why you might want to laugh. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of people basically feel like, well, there isn't anything artful or philosophical about horror um mm-hmm. and they and might the th- like, yeah. sorry sorry to, sorry to yeah. interrupt i just wanted to like get this point in before i forget it like and like it's kind of hard to quantify why it like i never understood it until i started liking horror movies that like i never until i was like 20 21 years old i didn't understand why people would like want to like, be scared by horror movies but now i like i totally get it. i could not put it you put a gun to my head i could not tell you how or mm-hmm. why I enjoy it, but like it's easy to explain why you want to laugh. There's mm-hmm. like a billion reasons, but I can't explain why I would like to be scared. You know? I mean, it's it's fun, but it's I mean, like, I probably fun could like with like a, a five term, years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. Um, oh, what was I gonna say? Oh shit! <laughs> I started a sentence and now I don't have any out to it. Oh my gosh! You guys can talk. <laughs> It, um, that was the fundamental question is why horror? Like why yeah. would you watch these things? Yeah, yeah. I mean it's 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 um no I I can't remember it. Now I feel like now I have like a whole omelet on my face because I can't remember <laughs> what the point I was gonna make. One of, one upgraded the, uh, up, wait, upgraded from an egg, just like the like <laughs> you're you're like so embarrassed that like your face cooked the egg too. Yeah, no, exactly. Like through some like like chopped up some like green peppers and onions and to- tossed that in there. Oh, it's yeah, fully, no, exactly. I see. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, excellent. Uh, so one of the clear answers, not clear answers, one of the answers that people often give to that right is that. Uh, it's safe. It's a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's you're scared when you're on a roller coaster, but you know that you're absolutely safe, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's that's the point. And so you go to horror movies, and you're scared at a horror movie because you know you're not actually in danger. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, and then there are people who say that we do that in order to not really conquer our fear, but to sort of, um, to face it in a certain way, right? To yeah. engage with, with that fear. And I'm, I mean, I'm not necessarily convinced by these explanations, but they're, they're pretty, they're given pretty often, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That these are the kind of go-to explanations for why people enjoy horror. Yeah. Right. I, I like, I think there's a sort of like aesthetic sensibility to horror and mm-hmm. it, it's obviously not shared amongst like the entirety of the genre of horror, but it's like kind of like the uncanny is so attractive in a sort of way because it is unfamiliar yeah. You know? Wait, you're right. you're saying you wouldn't apply that to Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> I mean, I think it. I mean, I think uncanny can exist in all sorts of different ways and different manifestations. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but I think just like the fascination with something that's unfamiliar and is, I think, is what attracts me to horror specifically mm-hmm. because it's 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 kind of examining the world in a sort of like you know altered way. You know, I like things yeah. that are adjacent to the world we know, but like slightly off. I think right. that's yeah. I think that's so interesting. Um, and I remember the point I was going to make. Um, <laughs> I feel like kind of the tides are turning and as far as like horror considered, like not having messages other than um, like to get a reaction out of its audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, a really obvious example would be Get Out, which came recently, which has a lot of like sociopolitical, you know, implications that come along with it. Um, but I think metaphor, like, always, like, not always, but often has a hand in, like, horror movies. And we also have, like, The Witch came out, which has, which relies really heavily on atmosphere and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So God, I th- Get Out was so good. Yeah. So it's, I'm, it's, just thinking, I'm just thinking about that movie again, and God, that was a good movie. So I don't know so much if, like, what we're creating is changing. Though, I mean, it is, but I think the perception of what we're creating is changing. Yeah. Yeah, I think no, that's true. I think right. And I think we're creating, or there are people who are creating smarter horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not to say that we're not getting, you know, blood fests, because I think mm-hmm. we do get blood fests. Uh, but it, it does really feel like we're in a period that is a, a lot uh, more similar to the 1970s in sure. terms of yeah. some of the horror that's coming out right now that... Um, you know, I really do think the stuff that James Wan is producing are, are they're really kind of explicit throwbacks to the mid to late 70s. Um, I think Get Out is pretty similar in that way. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. we've we're out of, you know, we came out the other side of torture porn in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, yeah. and uh, uh, so we came out of that very, very uh, we came out of that very, very drippy and disgusting tunnel. Yes, we, we are sliding across the linoleum and, and we, one wonders if you're going to stop. Right. Um, uh, but uh, but we did, in fact, come out the other side. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I, I think when you when you're in that situation, people, a lot of people creating horror or thrillers, if they want to think about it that way, are mm-hmm. are trying to be. A little bit more thoughtful and uh because they remember that and they want to maybe they're reacting in some way right they're saying like let's do less of this thing that we've done for the past 10 years and uh-huh. and do a little bit more sort of thoughtful stuff uh-huh it's it's interesting that you mention james wan evoking more 70s horror because i feel like he does but i think also his earlier works which is you know the saw movies i'm pretty right. sure he had a hand in the first if not all of them Um, were pretty explicitly torture porn. And I feel like kind of, I mean, there were, 
not like the only ones that were doing it and certainly it was happening sooner but I feel like it kind of kick-started this idea of like horror as just like grotesque you know as, yeah but yeah, it, I, I think him and, it's just him and Eli Roth really right mm-hmm yeah it's it's just interesting <laughs> absolutely okay yeah. uh sorry I didn't mean to cut you off did no. you have some no 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 okay, please cool. go ahead uh, so normally we would talk about like stuff in queer and horror news, but like there's not really anything except for Outlast Two came out, and I don't really talk. I don't really want to talk about that <laughs> game because it's it's bad. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I got really nothing to say about it. So you want to just move into the movie? Yeah, let's. Sure. So this this week we watched uh, a Babadook, which or a Babadook, the Babadook. Yeah. We watched we watched a Babadook, a singular Babadook out in the wild. Yeah. Um, just just the one, just one the of just the one. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, we watched the Babadook, which uh, ever since taking your class, ever since taking your class, Brian, I I kind of think of it as part of like an uh, an an unofficial, unintentional trilogy of of incredibly divisive horror movies from the mid 2010s. <laughs> yes, because exactly. it's this, it's this, it follows, and the witch. Yes, you're exactly. And I'll right. I'll concede that I still have yet to see the witch, just because I'm terrible at like fo- finishing my queue of like everything. I've got like a billion movies uh-huh. on my backlog. One day we'll watch it, Luna. <laughs> Monday. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate we can't do it for the podcast since you already did it in a week that I was gone. <laughs> yeah, but I digress. <clears throat> but yeah, um, I lost my train of thought again. Oh no, device of um, horror. Yeah, right. Device of horror movies where it's like I I've seen so many people whose opinions I very much respect when it comes to movies. I've seen people love the those three movies, and I've seen people whose opinions I very much respect hate those three movies. Yeah. Uh huh. And I mean, also at the same time, I feel like a lot of the people I've I, I've talked to who don't like spend a lot of time with horror movies did not like any of them, except yeah. for maybe It Follows. It Follows had a bit of a like, a I don't want to say like normal person like appeal, but like that's what I kind of that's the only way I can think of like non horror fan appeal. Sure, yeah, <laughs> the normies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, the Babadook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 this would be the second time I've seen it, um, and I like it. I don't think I like it as much as everyone else seems to like it. I think it is an above-average horror movie, but I don't think it's an above-average above horror movie, if you know I what think I mean. It's, I think it's, I, I probably, I think I hold it in a little bit higher regard than you, mm-hmm. but I mean... We'll I, get I, into I the specifics. Had, yeah, I just kind of <laughs> have to give a lot, I, I have to give a fair amount of credit, because like, I don't... I mean, in my real, in my day-to-day life, I stress out about, like, literally everything, uh-huh. but it takes a good handful for a movie to, like, actively get me, like, very stressed out, and, like, I was there by, like, the first third of this movie, uh-huh. like, not, like, even completely separated from the horror stuff, just, like, the daily life stuff, like. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's probably why I don't care for it so much, is because I felt the emotion it was bringing out in me was anxiety, mm-hmm. instead of, like being freaked out by dread or dread or fear yeah it's it's so it's like kind of a sister emotion to it but not exactly there the one you're looking for yeah so it didn't really scratch that itch for me but what i feel like it did really well is the technical stuff um i felt like uh, like visually it's a really like you know compelling movie but i I, let's get (laughs) meat and potatoes of the actual like the plot stuff yes (laughs) so um it 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 
opens like the opening scene is amazing in this movie. I think it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, uh, essentially, like just trying to like communicate that uh, uh, our main our protagonist is was in a car crash um, in this sort of really slow moving sort of way with yeah. a lot of contrasting like bright lights and stuff like that. And then she eventually like falls very slowly onto her bed. Kind yeah. of, you know, evoking it's, that it's, feeling it's, of, like, <laughs> when you have a dream that you're falling, you know? It's it's kind of reminiscent of the way that, like, uh, a, a stage, like, a, a set in a stage play kind sure. of, like, assembles itself as, like, the lights are coming up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, you see, like, the, like, the, you know, like, the, the pillars going in, like, the arches, and, like, the, you see, like, the stage hands running off. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> Dressed in black with top hats and pointy fingers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is my favorite stage hand. <laughs> oh, best in the business, but you, you cannot get a hold of that man. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> he'll find you though. If you need him, he'll find you. That's right, and then you won't be able to get rid of him. <laughs> no. He's not, he's got a thirty year contract where he walks. <laughs> uh, so, God, I actually forget. How this start? Like I remember how the the everything goes. I just kind of forget the order. Well, she 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 our our, our main protagonist is uh, is a wife whose husband has died, and uh, is living with her son who has a fascination with like m- like stage magic and yeah, also, like, which is gadgets. also this kid actor is really good. Yeah, I mean, not good for a kid actor, definitely. Um, there was points. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like, this kid was, like, absolutely believable as a six-year-old. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I feel like the writing kind of failed him at points, but we'll get in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, the, do you mind if I just jump around the plot? Because I have kind of specific things I want to talk about. Um. I've got no, I've got no qualms. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, the, the one moment that I wish was not in the movie was when he was at the supermarket when the 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 mom and the oh yeah and he just straight up amelia by the way amelia and samuel yeah samuel uh just straight up says yeah my dad died but he was taking my mom to the hospital within the first like 10 minutes of the movie and i was like you you could have made that moment have so much more impact because they yeah. mentioned it again in kind of a very similar way later in, uh, like the at very the very last... end of the movie. Yeah, and I feel like that would have put stuff and I feel like it would have had more impact at that point and put stuff in a different context. And I think that's just yeah. a taste thing I that think, I felt I like. I think they could have gotten away with just not having that line in the movie because it seems like it pretty like makes itself clear by the end of it. I mean, yeah, I. I I have much... Yeah, I'm with you on that. I have, like, a much bigger gripe with the first mention than I do with the second. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, I was thinking about it at the end, and, like, I, I, I compare, like, not... I compare, like, so many things to this, but, like, I was thinking about it at, like, the death of uh, Snowden in Catch-22. Did you ever re- see or read that, Blair? I read most of it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the... I mean, the Snowden thing is just, like... Snowden is this uh, former fighter pilot uh, associate of the of the main character Yosarians, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's just like references to there's like very vague references to his death throughout the throughout the book, mm-hmm. and it's just like kind of like Snow or not Snowden Yosarians like weird kind of like trauma traumatic flashbacks to this man like it's eventually revealed that he just like bled out in in Yosarian's hands like yeah, his exactly. gu- he like got disemboweled in Yosarian's hands 
And it's just like these vague things until you just get the whole meat and potatoes of it at like it, on like page four forty of four seventy. Yeah, no, exactly. It like and like I was thinking about it like that, and then I was like, wait, no, that doesn't work because they said it in the first ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. I feel like it's planting and then like you know like payoff, which it just didn't stick the landing in a way that satisfied me. Were you, I yeah. sorry, did I interrupt you? <laughs> Were you going to say something? Uh, well, what I was thinking of saying along the line was just that I, I think there's a different dance going on with that information. Um, yeah, and I could sure. be totally wrong about this, but um, I, I, so I think a lot of this has to do with character establishment. And the, mm-hmm. when we get the repetition with Samuel, um, Amelia says of Samuel, right, you know, there's no filter. He just, whatever comes into his mind, he comes says. Comes his mind, yeah. And yeah, this, exactly. is, this is, of course, a point of, of anxiety and stress, but it's also like that's who Samuel is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, so the, the thing that Jennifer Kent, writer director has to do is she has to make Samuel super annoying, but mm-hmm. then she also has to make Amelia empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need to be able to identify with Amelia because we we're following her more than we're following Samuel. Like Samuel is a kind of emotional antagonist for us for a right. long time. And so there needs to be a reason that we both like we want Samuel to be better and we want him to be okay. Like we don't actually want her to kill him. Right. Cause you gotta be mm-hmm. careful about yeah. this stuff. People will just be like, let's kill the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or like, let's get rid of him as soon as we can. Um, and so, but you need to feel her stress and it mm-hmm. needs to, it needs to be real. And so I think having him say that in one of those moments of social awkwardness, uh, it, it both, creates the awkwardness but then also it lets you know that she equates or conflates samuel with the death of her husband yeah right and yeah. so like there's no way to pull these things apart there's nowhere for her to run um and and it's so i think important to not only their relationship but also then the relationship with the sister claire yeah um, yeah you know and so I, I get i totally understand what you're saying i'm not sure that the it wasn't. It wasn't supposed to be a revelation, necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah, I think. I, yeah. I I agree with you that it wasn't supposed to be a revelation, but the, like the way it was, like when we sh- when she has the visions of her dead husband, like it kind of feels like it's like the fact that it kind of is dancing around it and not saying and not directly referring to it. Kind of feels like they're building up to a re- like I'm kind of not to fence it here, but I kind of feel like I'm on both sides of this because it feels like it kind of is, feels like it kind of isn't, and I. I'm having a hard time deciding because I'm indecisive. Yeah, well, I, I actually have. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, yeah, I actually have no problem with Samuel like outright saying it. I think, like you said, I think it's an important like character decision for him too. Mm-hmm. I just wish it wasn't so early on in the movie. I feel like even if it wasn't supposed to be a revelation moment, I feel like it it would have. I I don't know. I felt like it would have been more personally satisfying for the audience if if we had a, a measure of mystery to to the specific source of the tension other mm-hmm. than the fact that the husband is dead um, and then had more context later in the film. Yeah. You know? you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. So jumping around some more, one of the things I really like about this movie is that it lets the audience kind of like fill in some blanks of unnecessary, like it just kind of like cuts some fat in unnecessary spots. Like, this is a minor thing, but, like, in the first third of the movie or so, uh, Amelia and her sister Claire are at the park with their kids, uh, Sam and uh, Ruby, I think. Yeah. yeah. Was Claire's daughter? Yep. Um, 
and we just see Sam like climbing to, to, to the top of like some kind of jungle gym thing and like standing on top of it. And he's like, mom, look. And then it's an immediate cut to her driving the car home and Sam just like wailing in the back. Okay. It just like cuts out just like there could have, there would have been like a, maybe like 30 seconds there of him like falling and oh no, is he okay? And it's just, it's, I, I really like the editing in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, agree. I mean, there's a lot that I, there's a lot that I like about this movie. <laughs> No, I agree. I think the acting is super good. I really like the technical aspects of it. And I honestly, like, I think this the story isn't the strongest story I've ever seen in the horror movie before, but I still really like it, you know? So, um... Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want people to think of me... I especially didn't like this movie. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I can just be a critical person sometimes. Um, and it's, it's good to be a critical person sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are hardest on the things we love, I guess. That's the thing I said. Um, so, I don't let's just go, th- let's just go through like some plot points. Sure, sure, sure. That yeah, yeah. So th- this book about Mr. Babadook shows up in Amelia's house one day mm-hmm. and it's just like this bright red book that stands out really bright, like really strongly against like the everything else. Cause everything else in this movie, especially mm-hmm. in her own house is really like, like drained of color, really Blue drab. And gray. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, like, it, it even extends to, like, the food, because, like, the only thing you ever really see them eat is just kind of, like, white, like, it looks like clam chowder. Right. Yeah. Right. Gruel. It's just, gruel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Gruel. I couldn't find, I couldn't think of the word gruel, but, like, it, it's just literally gruel. Like, everything in the house is so blue, white, and black, and then there's just, like, this standout red, which is just, like, your eye is always drawn to it immediately. Yeah. hmm mm-hmm. And the, the, like, art design in the, in the book itself I, I just, I love it so much. It's like... It were, the art design reminded me of something that I'm sh- trying to... Hold on. You keep talking. I'm going to do a quick Google search because I got to remember. Because it reminded me of something very specific. And hold I on think, a sec. I think it, like, it's, 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 it, 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 it is creepy without being corny, you know? Oh, the art, the art style reminded me of the Stinky Cheese Man and other <laughs> fairly stupid tales. <laughs> Fully. No, exactly. <laughs> do you, do you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. But. I do not, but I. You know, I'll, 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 I'll link an image. I'll link an image to the book it. cover. I'll, I'll I'll link an image. I'll, I'll link the book cover in the Skype chat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. <laughs> oh my god! It I was just thought. like it was just like this like weird like uh, uh, what was the thing on back on like Rocky and Bullwinkle like the weird thing they did with like Tall Tales or something? Oh, I don't know. It was bas- It was basically that, but for like the modern age. Sure. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I feel like, especially with, like, children's stuff in horror movies, you can cross that bridge to corny pretty easily. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like this this one I still, like, manages to have a certain level of, like, creepiness that doesn't rely on the fact that, ooh, kids are scary, you know? Yeah, no. Like, it's just, it's very off-putting. Mm-hmm. It's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. It also just looks good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got some it's got some really interesting, you know, some good pop ups, some good pull tab uh, animations. <laughs> impressive and a really impressive use of color, right? So like, and and I know the um, one of the great things is uh, when she first reads the book, it's a, it's a I think a wonderful sequence when we're already introduced to Samuel needs his books, right? He needs his stories before he goes mm-hmm. to sleep, and so she's reading it, and it gets sort of more and more tense, more and more tense, and then we get to the sort of dead, right? Um, and she closes it, but it's also pretty clear, I think in the slightly later sequence, that there are maybe six or seven blank pages. Mm-hmm. 
And yep. and then you know as the plot moves on, uh, we have occasion to see that those pages get filled out, right? You know, yeah. sort of like the onion gets peeled back, and, and yeah, exactly. And things are worse. Um, but in in those new pages that happen, that's where we get the sort of throat slitting, right? And the and the blood gushing, and just the color contrast between the charcoal in the more or less off white pages, but then that really stark crimson. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, it's, a, it's really well done. It it really is. It, it reminds me um a little bit of. Uh, Blair, you know the game Mad World? I don't know it, actually. It was this, like, 2005... Uh, no, sorry, 2007-ish um, video game for uh, from, from the Nintendo Wii by Platinum Games. Sure. Um, and it was, like, this super, like, hyper-violent thing. Like, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was, like, the pr- probably holds some kind of record as the most violent game ever released on the Wii, which is <laughs> n- probably not a very high bar to clear, if I'm being honest. But the thing is, the game used four colors. It used black and white, which were the primary things, and that was, like, cell shading. Mm-hmm. It was all cell shaded. No outlines, mm. no nothing. It was just all that. Then your user interface elements had, like, you know, your health bar, your uh, pickup items, your, like, te- your like messages from the system. Those were yellow. And then blood was just mm-hmm. red. That's wow. that's the only four colors that were in there. Hmm. It was an okay game to play, but, it's like, sty- like, visually, it's absolutely stunning. I'm going to see if I can grab a screenshot or two of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's using color in a really mindful way, I think. Yeah. You know, which, this, like I said, I mean, we've mentioned this before, this movie does really well. Like, it's... Super mindful about what it's communicating visually without and not like verbally, I guess. You know, yeah, it really takes right. <laughs> advantage of the fact that film is a visual medium, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, um, the production design uh, and the art direction is, is really, in here, a lot of here, ways, superlative. I, I, linked a screen, I linked a screen cap from, um, the, from the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll have all these images in the show notes, so the, yeah. <laughs> the viewers aren't just scrabbling for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think my favorite scene in the movie is definitely the cockroach scene where she's, like, pulling back the refrigerator yeah. um, and finds this hole in the wall, and, like, the service workers come in, and then she looks back and there's, like, no hole in the wall, and she kind of has to grapple with that for a moment and try to... Yeah. It's just... It's, I think it's such a perfect, like, example of, like, a, a, of... Like kind of lo- losing her mind and trying to keep up appearances in a yeah. certain way, um, especially with people with like, poli- like not political power, but like you know a certain level of bureaucratic state power. power I they guess know. they have state power. Yeah, they can, yeah, yeah. they could take Samuel away. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. Like I, I, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, but then I always remember thinking, like, when I watch it. I think I'm always disappointed with that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think my disappointment just stems from, I think, oh, it's Bugs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, the, like, the, oh, bugs. I, I, I'm kind of thinking about that because like, I, I just remembered that. And I'm like, there really wasn't a payoff to that, was there? Well, there kind but, of was. You hear yeah. like, they cockroaches show up in the car again. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And then that leads to the really creepy scene of her just sitting in the bath fully clothed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we hear, we sometimes hear, like, the skittering of, like, cockroaches when yes. the Babadook, like, yeah. is around. Um, so, it, yeah, no, but I totally get what you mean about it just being bugs, you know? And, and I'll even, I'll, I'll step back one more time, because as you were talking about the ways that it pays off, I think it also pays off just in, and I won't, you know, we don't have to jump all the way to the end, but like the way the ways in which creepy crawlies become really significant by the end of the film. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and so like they're 
I think that's one kind, right? That's, so we have this kind of relationship to, to bugs that's built over a number of different sequences. Um, so I'm, I'm totally stepping back from what I said. Like my <laughs> visceral reaction is just sort of like, eh, bugs. Like, yeah, yeah okay, no. you found a way to put bugs in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but actually it turns out um, that it's, it's a lot more thoughtful um, and, mm-hmm. and that it does kind of pay off, I think. Mm-hmm. Huh, mm-hmm. That's really cool. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oops! <laughs> you know, it's it's cool. That's why we have. Three I, 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 I hope my I hope my sh- I hope my like hands to the side, shoulder shrug was like audible in that. <laughs> I could see it in the stage directions. Um, I would, so uh, okay, good, good. Just make sure you're following the script closely. Exactly. I'm gonna. I want to geek out just for a second. Um, okay. Go for it, because, please. Because this is a horror film where we're introduced to the idea that apparently late night Australian television is the best television anywhere on the planet. Right. Like it. it, So, you know, if you fall asleep in front of the television, you will be treated to like a movie marathon of George Melies. Right. uh, And Mm -hmm. uh, some Mario Bava. Right. Like just like these awesome clips. And of course, like news about a a mother who murders her child, uh, um, Mm -hmm. all kinds of fun stuff. But the, this allows Jennifer Kent, right, to sort of say, like, and we have all of the trick photography from Georges Méliès from, you know, 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we have Mario Bava. And when we have that sort of, the sequence from um, Bava's um, Black Sabbath uh, uh, that's on the television, the scene that comes after that, right, is like, it's almost like an homage, right? It's, it's like really similar to the scene from Black Sabbath that she's sort of watching on the television, right? And so mm-hmm. Kent gets to sort of be a little meta, you know? She gets mm-hmm. to sort of talk about horror films and um, and just movies in general, like movie magic, um, in the using the same piece of technology that, like, Samuel is lo- using to learn about stage magic. Right, right? Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, just, like, such cool stuff. But the other thing that I'd throw in, and, it, and I want to say, like, Having done a little bit of homework, this is all the gold mine that is IMDb, right? Um, it's not just yeah. sort of sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, that's Black Sabbath." Uh, okay. That um, so the design we were talking about the the storybook design, but the design in general for the Babadook um, is is taken from a, a really one of the most famous lost films um, of all time, and this is Lon Chaney's London After Midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a you know a sort of horror film thriller that that comes at the height of uh the silent film era so it's 1927 right it's like right at the time when we get the transition to synchronized sound um but it's like the late the mid to late 20s is really when you're just like cranking out amazing masterpieces of silent cinema um and london after midnight is this film that we don't have right we have stills from it we have production stills uh and it looks like you know cheney's makeup is absolutely terrifying but mm-hmm. you know go back um and and look at it and just like those images are you're like oh my god yeah that's totally the babadook mm-hmm. um, yeah i'm look i'm looking at I'm, I'm looking at the wikipedia page right now here i'll blair i'll link you so cool uh, but yeah it just it it just is right mm-hmm. it's just so clear that's that, nuts. That, you know jennifer kent got together uh i'm pretty sure with so Alex Holmes is her art director and production designer, and Alex Juhaz is a graphic designer who designed the book, um, mm-hmm. the, the Mr. Babadook storybook. Um, and, I, you know, she got together with them, I'm pretty sure, and said, like, okay, 
I want the Babadook to basically be Lon Chaney in, in London after midnight. Um, and it's a it's such a an evocative image and, and sort of character profile to use um, this sort of dark, mad faced uh, guy with spiky hair and a top hat. Right. And mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's, it's dark Willy Wonka. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Evil Gene Wilder, right. <laughs> who would also be played by Gene Wilder. Like Gene Wilder would, would absolutely play both sides of the coin there. Yes. Um, yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I don't have like an intimate like relationship with silent film, but I I always feel such a fondness when like um, modern films like kind of like call back to it in a sort of right. way. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching. This is a completely different movie. I'm going to talk about for a second, but. <laughs> Love me this. I was watching Vampire, uh, Vampire's Kiss recently, which um, is a, a Nicolas Cage yep. a movie that Nicolas Cage stars in. Um, and he watches Nosferatu at some point, and then like later in the movie, like starts to like emulate this that sorts of like physical like stature that is present in like Nosferatu. Yes. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. I th- I th- that was like, it's not something I noticed until someone else pointed it out to me. I thought it was just Nicolas Cage being weird in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, unheard of. But, no. but, it's like, but the fact that it's actually like an intelligent like acting decision um, right. or a directing decision um, kind of tickles me, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you, if you haven't, I'll just throw in there, um, this is not my official recommendation, but... Uh, uh, Shadow of the Vampire, um, John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe. Um, this is it's a it's a film that basically tells the story, a fictionalized story of uh, F. W. Murnau making Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the basic storyline is that uh, the man he finds to be his vampire is actually a vampire. Oh sure. Um, and so right, Willem, I remember you mentioning this. Yeah, okay. it's it's a kind of stupendous film, uh, and so you don't even have to sort of be a you know, buff uh, to to find it entertaining, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, Malkovich plays Murnau, and Willem Dafoe is the guy who would, would have been Max Schreck, um, sure. who played Count Orlock. Um, just awesome. Just awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, like who could you find? <laughs> who better could you have to play a vampire than Willem Dafoe? Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like there's like the best skeletal structures in Hollywood for this uh-huh. film, right? You know, uh-huh. like all in the uh, in the cast. So and uh-huh. was it, Harry, was Harry Will- Elways plays the director of photography. It's kind of amazing. Uh-huh. Wasn't Willem Dafoe a vampire in Darksiders or whatever that movie was called? The one about like vampires, like vampire capitalism? I don't know. No? Never Maybe. heard of this one, huh? What the hell was this movie called? Hold vampire on, I need to find capitalism. this real quick. Oh, God. Is that the one with uh, uh, Ethan Hawke? I think it might be, but um, I did just go to Willem Dafoe's Wikipedia page, and his like the blurb at the top that lists like his most known movies uh, does end with his uh, per- his performance in the upcoming adaptation of Death Note. So, oh well, yeah, get psyched for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about oh. Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Daybreakers, that's the movie, not Daybreakers. Dark. Dark Souls is a video game. <laughs> yeah, that's the one with Ethan Hawke. Cool. <laughs> So. Um, so, anything else we want to talk cover in Babadook before we just like go to the conclusion and kind of talk about its relationship to mental illness because that is a big part of this. I do want to spend some time on. I mean, yeah, I, w- I do want to talk about the third act, but I think we would probably talk about 
a lot of the third act in that specific discussion. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm just like trying to keep us moving because Brian does have an engagement at eight. <laughs> Thank you. So. Thank you. <laughs> So let's move on to that, like, the end of it. So it ends with this, like, big, long, climactic scene, like, that lasts, like, what, maybe 15, 20 minutes? Sure, yeah. Of her just kind of, like, slowly slipping and losing her grip on everything. Like, in my least favorite scene in the entire movie, and probably my least favorite scene in any movie we've watched for this show, she uh, breaks her dog's neck. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I'm just, I I know I'm just kind of always bummed out by that stuff. yeah. So that was kind of sad. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. She is like threatening uh, Samuel. Like she's got a knife in her hand. Like, and then I, I'm sorry, I'm completely losing myself. Um, well, today. she it's kind of like a back and forth between her and Samuel for a while. Eventually, yeah. to the point where he um, runs down to the basement, trips her as she's falling down um, and eventually like hits her on the back of the head, which knocks her out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she comes to, she finds herself like tied up on the floor. Um, kind of like haphazardly because it was done by like a six year old child. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, she, she, uh, he, he's like, I'm going to protect you. You said you were going to protect me. You don't love me anymore, but I still love you. Like that kind of stuff. Um, and she eventually like wiggles free from the, the 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 restraints on her arms and chokes him for a while, but uh, like before she actually like kills him, like lets him go, and then rolls over and just vomits on the floor this like black stuff, which is I'm uh, uh, like you know probably the 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 Baba Dick like leaving her because there was an insinuation early that that it was gonna like be inside of her in a certain yeah. way. Um, and then it's, it's kind of like a false end at that point. Um, cause when, cause you, you feel like there's supposed to be a sense of like the tension leaving the, the, the movie as she like walks back up the stairs and is like covered in all this dirt and grime. And it's like, well, I, I went through hell, but I survived. And then we hear, um, Samuel say, uh, you can't get rid of the Babadook as he like shoots up the stairs being pulled up, um. And then he, we, we see him like being tossed around by this invisible force, um, as like we have this like last standoff between um, uh, the mother who's what's her name again? Amelia. A- Amelia. Amelia. Yeah. Amelia and the Babadook. Um, we are so bad at names here. I need I... to have the Wikipedia page open <laughs> at all times. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So last standoff between these two. Uh, um, like like forces in this movie. I guess. Exactly. Yeah, she gets to be Mama Bear. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, because yeah, because it's 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 kind of like a one eighty. Like because this this scene takes place in the room, and then an earlier scene I can't I think takes place in in the same room where she's like, um, like, like saying I wish, like you had died instead of my husband dying, and then she's like like later in the movie she's like i'm gonna protect you now you know now that i've like you know like got this grief like out of me i guess sort of in a way my metaphors are kind of tenuous here no Um, i i mean i think you nailed it right i uh i I think in the end the entire film's about grief oh yeah yeah grief and depression and like um like i mean loss and all those 
and mental health in a sort of way because it seems to be like a yeah. something larger than just grieving, you know. Right. It's it's right. it's having a like a profound effect on how these people like interact I mean, at, with reality, yeah, you know. At, at like at like a very at a very surface level it is definitely about grief, but like that doesn't it, that does extend further down. Like the further down you go, it is still about grief when it is still about, you know, depression. It's still about grief right, when it's right. about mental illnesses that are not depression. Yeah. Cuz there is some amount of that. And I'm not going to speak on that too I'm not going to speak on that very authoritatively because I don't really suffer from any mental illnesses besides depression uh-huh. and a couple other things that I'm not going to go into. Not going to peel the curtain back that far, <laughs> but like there are definitely other things that the that there are, that this movie is talking about that you know I think I I felt like there was um, uh, it's hard to talk about some about bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um, like uh, obviously a lot about like anxiety mm-hmm. um, I'm. Don't have another item on my list. Yeah, it's just like a, a like a like the Babadook acts as like a manifestation of this like like ignoring these problems you have in your life and not confronting them. Um, and I feel like the end, the very end of this movie is very interesting because she eventually like scares it off into the basement um, by like you know saying that you are trespassing in my house. If you're gonna if you touch my son, I will kill you. Um, and uh, so it's like it like retreats into the basement, and then she ends up like collecting worms and dirt for it to eat. You know, our 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 last scene is kind of like um, um, Samuel and um, Amelia in the garden, and she's like, "Oh, I found a worm for your bowl. Bring the bowl over here." And then she brings it down to like the basement and like like feeds the Babadook there. So it's it's. And, I don't the know. Babadook, and the Babadook does try for, like, he does try to attack her, but she manages to, like, fight back against that. And just, he's, like, he kind of sulks back into the corner. He's like, fine, I'll take my fucking worms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and it's 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 not how we typically see, like, like monsters in horror right. movies dealt with. They Either they kill everyone or they're killed, you know? Yeah. We don't you know have... What this, you know what this ending explicitly reminded me of? Hmm. The ending of Shaun of the Dead. Oh, sure. Yes, yeah. Where, where where Nick Frost is, like, chained up in Simon Pegg's basement, and he's just, they're just still, like, friends, even though he's a zombie. Uh-huh. Right, they're they're sort of almost a pet, right? And, yeah. But, I mean, pet not in the patronizing way, but in the, like, I love you, but you're also an animal, and I need to keep you chained up sort mm-hmm. of yeah. thing, right? You know, like, I'm going to crate you at night or something like that. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, it's 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 like it's 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 like self care in a sort of way, you know. If we're gonna like accept the, def- I mean, the pretty overt, you know, like yeah. metaphor that is like you know, like grief and depression and stuff like that. That is the Babadook and like not not eradicating those negative yeah, feelings from yourself because that's not going to help anything. It's acknowledging and trying to tend to those emotions instead. Yeah. So. I, I I felt I, I really liked the ending because I felt like it was had a really unique energy that you don't really have from a lot of horror movies. Yeah, yeah, it did, and I think I think this is a lot of what uh, some people reacted to really poorly, mm-hmm. um, right? That I think this was I, I don't want to talk about it as an opportunity, but this is people would say like I, I don't like that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It was the and maybe it was they felt that it was too allegorical. Um, you know, that it wasn't just a monster that then we could sort of talk about. Um, this was, 
as we as we were sort of saying, the the surface level of it is fairly explicit um, mm-hmm. in in the way that they present it. Um, but it's I think yeah the, the the complication of you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Samuel you know says, can I see it? And and she says, well you will when you're older, right? Mm-hmm. I mean there, there's so much about it that I think is is handled really well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and in as much as or at the same time in that very scene out there in the garden. We get to see Samuel sort of doing his magic again, but this time his magic creates life. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it doesn't actually create it, but it makes it appear, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. There's, this, yeah. there's this really nice arc with regard to the, the tricks that he's doing. Um, it's, a, it's a little brighter, but it's still kind of muted tones um, in terms of like the visual palette that we've seen. Um, right. But yeah, that sort of like, we keep, we keep, our, we keep our darkness locked in the basement. Um, and, and it does still have power over me. Like we haven't conquered it, um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're more in control. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. really the, that seems to be the, the sort of upshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like so, I've come out of this discussion with a, like a, a deeper appreciation of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Congratulations. You've met Brian Hauser now. That's, that's, that's how, that's how. <laughs> Like hey, not, to, you, not, to sound, not to sound like too flattering, but that is like genuinely how I felt walking out of every single class of yours. You totally schooled me on the bugs. Like we worked through the whole bug issue together, no, and no, I really yeah. appreciate that we did because uh-huh. you know, that was a part where I was like, "Oh, that's kind of a flawed." But I, we totally worked that one out. So mm-hmm, thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, are we so, satisfied with our discussion? Do we want to dive into yeah, ratings? And, for this yeah, movie? let's go. In, want to go into ratings? Sure. Sure. Um, Blair, so, I. Unless you have any other, anything else you're thinking about, I think you would do this one on a scale of bowls of gruel. Bowls of gruel? I am completely satisfied with that. <laughs> All right. So on a scale of zero to five bowls of gruel, I'm going to go ahead and give this one like a pretty good 4.5 out of five. Yeah. I I'm really gonna... liked it. A lot of stuff about this movie. Like this is just, I'm going to come back to this again in a couple of months time. I say that. I'm, I, I hope that I actually will because I've said that about a lot of movies and I have failed to. <laughs> but... I mean, I'm going to come back to this in a little in a little while, and I I do like I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I am going to err a little bit lower than that, just a little bit though. I'm going to give it four out of five. Um, Bowls of girl. I I like this movie, and I definitely have a deeper appreciation deeper uh, deeper appreciation for it. But I still feel it's like above average, you know. Wow, you've made it difficult, and so I'm going to try to <laughs> I'm going to try to split that hair by saying it's it's. Four point five bowls of gruel, but at least three have sedatives hidden. In sure. Them. Um, and uh, you know, I, I really love this movie. I really, really do. I don't. I don't. It's not perfect necessarily. Um, sure. And mostly in terms of the way that it, uh, the feelings that it leaves us with. I think it makes us think more. I think it does really interesting things with feelings. I actually like the way that it uses anxiety as its baseline, mm-hmm. um, cause I do think that's relatively unique or relatively new before yeah. it starts getting to scaring us. Uh-huh. Um, but I think if there was a flaw for me, really, it's that, um, some of those scares are actually kind of literally mechanical, um, uh-huh. scares. It's sort of like the way that the, the visual special effects for the Babadook are done. Um, I, I found them effective, like they worked, but it also felt to me like someone was throwing the switch. You sure. Know, and sure. and uh, uh, the other stuff felt so earned to me that that those visual ticks um, 
uh, seem just a little bit less authentic. For even though they were really effective, they seem yeah. a little bit less authentic. But so good, right? I mean, yeah. these, these are really, really tiny quibbles. So I'm gonna go four point five with a little bit of ambience. Sure. <laughs> All right. Sure. So now we're gonna move on to questions from listeners. Cool. We've got two. Well, cool. two different messages that contain multitudes, I guess. Blair, <laughs> do you want do you want to pull up the email real quick and just check see if anyone sent one there uh, and long Sure. Okay. So this first question comes from Tumblr user What's Up with Mew. They say, Hey y'all, a couple of questions for your guest. I feel like this might be an overly simplistic way of categorizing things, but I was curious if there's any kind of agreed upon quote unquote eras of horror movie style over the years, and what kind of tropes would classify a movie as being from one time or another. I was also curious about what kinds of innovations innovations you see in the horror movie genre today and where you think such films will go in the future. Hmm. Lot there. Uh, lot in there one. There is a lot in that one. So let's see. So first, in terms of overall eras, um, I, you know, I would I would sort of venture that the way that critics or scholars talk about horror film are only sort of tangentially about um, eras, uh, and it and it tends more to be either about um, subgenre or um, uh, theme, right? Uh, theme or trope. Um, and so you do. People will talk about um, the sort of breaking off of the 1970s. Like the 1970s is where we really start to get more uh, sort of shocking horror mm-hmm. films like Last House on the Left, right? And, you know, uh, uh, the films, the, the revenge films, really, that, that sort of start building that. Um, and then by the end of the decade, you start getting into slashers, which becomes a sort of 80s film thing. We talk about torture porn. And you can talk about these in terms of cycles of time. Um, and mm-hmm. you can identify when they fall. But it's, it's less about, like, oh, if this is a horror film from the 1980s, this is what it's about and this is what it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really difficult to do that because I think if you were to do that, you would never identify John Carpenter's The Thing that mm-hmm. way. Like, it's not, right. there, there are so many subgenres at work, right? So I think the classification generally is about subgenre and, and trope. It's sometimes also about the production unit. So people will talk about hammer horror films from the UK. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's or, or universal films, universal horror films from the 1930s. Um, oh, sorry, my dog is interrupting. He really wants me to throw this ball for him. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, Anyways, and so, go on. yeah, no, absolutely. And then the the second part was sort of about um, what was it? What things do we see more recently, or or uh, technological advancements? Is that they, they asked what kind of innovations we Innovation. see in the horror movie genre, and where you might think the films will go, such films will go in the future? Yeah. Um, I, 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 to answer this myself, I think that did you ever see Unfriended? I didn't. I actually was just at a, a academic conference and uh, was on a panel, or was at a panel where people were talking about Unfriended, and I was utterly convinced that I have to see it. Um, <laughs> you have to. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's, as a, as a horror movie, it's utterly just fine. It's passable. Right. It's, it's, but the medium is just so interesting. And I really want to see someone take like a very good crack at that. Cause the entire yeah. thing is uh, through a computer screen, except the for like the last two seconds film. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's, it literally, the camera does, except for the last two seconds, that movie does not move from the, from the computer screen. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's, I really want to see like a, a, I, I, like, I want to see like a really good take on that, and like I'm not like Unfriended wasn't bad. It was just like okay. I feel like it was. It's I think it's bad, but I still love that movie because, <laughs> like I said, I, I feel like it's it's schlock the schlockiest schlock ever. But it 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 had such a special place in my ha- heart because it is 
that I don't know. It's just the like the platonic ideal of teen drama horror movies. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Um, I do want to see it. I am excited to see it. I, I remember listening to this paper and sort of seeing clips, right, and thinking to myself, okay. This is actually the, it's the blueprint that proves this is how you do horror in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Because the, when, you're, when you're put in that view, your emotional relationship with a desktop with all of these open windows is that you have control, mm-hmm. right? And so the, it's, the, it's like whatever that film was, Hardcore Harry or something like that, right? Yeah, where, yeah. where you're like, okay, oh, yeah. you know, there's like, that's a particular kind of gimmick. And then there's also uh, Lady in the Lake from, I think, 1947, which is an entirely POV film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, so I get the gimmick. The problem, though, is that my visceral response is that I'm in control. And when mm-hmm. I find out that I'm not, I kind of, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to watch somebody. I don't want to be trapped in somebody else's body. Right. Sure, sure. Or somebody else's point of view the entire time. I don't mind slipping in and out of it. But um, so uh, I do I do want to see that. But I thought like, oh, OK, if you could craft that kind of horror experience in an interactive VR environment, mm-hmm. um, that might be that might be really yeah. sort of amazing. But um, I know so little about all of that. Oh, man. Now I'm just going to be thinking about that all night because that sounds awesome. Right. Yeah, right? Wouldn't that just be great? I mean, I mean, there. I mean, there obviously have been some VR horror that came came out re- have come out recently. I know the new Silent Hill um, game is apparently amazing. You mean Resident uh, Evil? Resident Evil, not Silent Hill. Uh, oh man, do, could you imagine? Um, <laughs> new, Resident, new Resident Evil uh, game is uh, well, it's evocative of Silent. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> is a lot in. It has a VR mode that I hear is like absolutely terrifying. So. Um, which is like neat, and I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like VR was kind of made to like scare people in like yeah. a horror. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I feel like, like those things are just so merry. VR, VR just lends itself to a lot of things that you wouldn't think would be scary turning scary. Like this kind of reminds me, like of, of the, this is like six or seven years ago, but someone uploaded a flash game to a website that was just first person Pac Man. Uh huh. Oh yeah. It's yeah, yeah, right. it's absolutely <laughs> horrifying. Yep. <laughs> You just like you turn a corner and all of a sudden there's this there's this giant blue mass that is just coming to you and will kill you if it touches you. Here comes yeah, this yeah. ghost, yeah. Yeah. So the you know, in terms of innovation and horror, um, on the at least on the technical side, it's for all but the, the most, you know, low budget of low budget independence, um, so CGI is is sort of the big thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. and you find I think you find this tension between uh, producers who are interested in getting the most bang for their buck, and so they're advocates of CGI, and then those who feel pure to be purists about practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in particular, when we're in a scenario where, or in an environment where people like to do either reboots or, or remakes of, of one kind or another, um, perfect example is the 2011. Um, the, the thing. thing, right? That's exactly where my mind went. Technically, a prequel, right? Um, but yep. in many ways, a remake. Um, but it's the CGI version, you know, and it, and the there and there are some like there are some onset uh, photographs of like because it wasn't going to be CG from the from the start of it, it was originally going to be uh, done with um, practical effects. And anyways, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, no, no, I, so one of the problems that we that we have in this situation is that aside from really basic stuff. Um, so much of the expertise that we benefited from in the in the 70s and the 80s, particularly the 80s, uh, 
into the early 90s is gone now. Like those mm -hmm. professionals are, are retiring or have retired. And, and now we're, we have professionals who, you know, their, their bread and butter is in CGI. And so if you wanted to actually do the thing with practical effects, you'd probably be stymied by there not being anybody who could do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and it's, so it's not so much a question of the money necessarily, because you know that there's money to throw around for big enough properties that have a built-in audience. But um, the difficulty is like that expertise is gone. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's in that way, it's kind of it is innovation in terms of the CGI stuff. But it's um, uh, it's also like we've innovated ourselves to where there's no we can't get back to land. Right. You right. Know, like we're, yeah. we're at sea in CGI, but there's no way back to land. Um, but then the I, and I think this is what we're finding when you're talking about the sort of like polarizing horror of the the mid teens. Um, we're finding a lot of people who are choosing to craft horror without using a significant amount of special effects. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, so they're setting up situations and they're, they're focusing on their writing um, and they're, they're building atmosphere, but they're not doing effects heavy horror. And it's not that there aren't, I mean, there are a lot of you, you, I know you uh, had Southland, you did Southland. Uh, mm -hmm. yep. Right. And so like, even on the low end, you find people who do, um, a lot of special effects. But I think what we're finding is that the really, the sort of impressive and well-reviewed horror films um, most often have a lot less of that. They yeah. focus on their writing, they focus on their acting, they focus on their atmosphere. Uh -huh. um, and so the innovations in some way are going back to the fundamentals of sound film um, mm -hmm. and really working on quality mm -hmm. um, and working less on spectacle. I feel um, like it's it's kind of, backtracking in a way because there's there's a sense that horror overstimulates its audience and yeah, yeah. it wants to like i think people are wanting to create something that has a, a cleaner feeling in a sort of way yeah um so i think it's neat i think <laughs> i'm yeah. i'm a fan <laughs> i i just i i love i i like horror movies Blair, yeah 2017 <laughs> my favorite my favorite subgenre that's coming out in horror right now is called mumblecore which is like like naturalistic conversation based like yeah. um like you know it's it's kind of evocative of found footage though it isn't always you know handheld yeah. sort of like um was it last week or two weeks ago that we did they look like people i don't remember i think it was last week e either way brian have you seen that film uh no it's right on my queue though yeah, yeah, I, I really highly recommend it. Okay. Like that's that movie was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was really good, and it was that that sort of like like naturalistic dialogue. Um, yeah, and it's, I and, and it is like trying to like create a sense of immersion within, within like the world. You know, another right. really good example is Creep, which is found footage, but in a way that found footage hasn't been used. Which I think is good because yeah. there's so many there's so many love letters to the Blair Witch Project that I think we need to like I, it, that is my favorite movie but we need to like remove ourselves from that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I totally understand, and I think uh, I, what I did recently see was Honeymoon, mm -hmm. um, which is maybe uh, it's not, not quite as mumblecore, but I, but it, it it's reminiscent. It's really just two people in a cabin, right? Sure. Um, and uh, and they're twenty something, so there's a lot of it that that kind of picks up on that neorealism that. Uh, Mumblecore does, um, mm -hmm. and I think I know that you guys did Coherence, and though oh, the, yeah. God, though the characters are a little good. bit older, it's doing something very very similar. Yeah, right. Um, and so, 
earlier iterations of this are like Ty West, right? So the Innkeepers and House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that is especially on the lower budget side. Um, that's a, a really quality strain of things that are happening now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's next, move on to the second question. question. <laughs> yep. All right. This one's a little bit simpler. Uh, this one from Tumblr user Monstrosity. I loved this movie. Really loved the monster design, how it's depicted in different medias throughout the movie, and the sound design of its real-world appearance. I'd be interested in hearing what you thought of it if you didn't discuss it already. Um, the sound design specifically, um, that was really... Like, I had... I in before today I had never seen this movie like I've seen I've seen like no clips of it but just like the 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 hearing just like the duck duck uh-huh. like the guttural yelling like that was like I knew that sound yeah yeah it's yeah. just kind of like really um emblematic it's not the word I'm looking for but it's the word I'm gonna use because I can't think of the one I am looking for uh-huh it's um, just it's good yeah I I Thumbs like up. Most, I like most of the sound design. I don't. They use this one stock, like like stock shrieking noise, at like the the end of the movie when like she's like staring into this black void and yeah. the, the Babadook is like screaming at her. And I was like, I have heard that noise so many times before. I wish you just made a new one <laughs> because it <laughs> totally took me out of the moment. But otherwise, I mean, you have like this like kind of insect noises and then you know the 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 calling card in a sort of way. Yeah, and it's like it's like a very. I mean, I. When I when I'm gonna call it loud. I don't mean like loud volume wise. I mean it's just like loud. Like there's just a. It's very layered. There's a lot going on. It really kind of ramps up the anxiety, mm-hmm. and some serious ways. Like there's just a large presence of sound mm-hmm. at, at a lot of the times. Not not necessarily relating to the Babadook specifically. The Babadook scenes aren't quite as much. But like when it's talking, when specifically speaking to the anxiety portions, the sound is just there's a lot of it. It's very loud. <laughs> Big. Yeah, um, big design. This uh, again, this is the sort of gold mine of IMDb, right? That um, mm-hmm. yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the sampling that scream uh, is from Mortal Kombat. Oh sure, yeah. Um, you know, right? And uh, it, it's sort of where it was popularized. But then you also get samples from Resident Evil, mm-hmm. um, UFO, Enemy Unknown, and Warcraft Two, mm-hmm. um, Tides of Darkness. Wow. Right. So there's there's. From my sense is that this is actually a sort of fairly unusual level of audio sampling from video games, mm-hmm. um, and um, that might just be emblematic of the uh, of the sound designer that they hired and, and uh, uh, you know predilections uh, along those lines. But it might have been something that they they thought a little bit more about. It's like you know. If you're in action adventure, someone's going to throw in a Wilhelm scream there. Um, at sure. Some point. Yeah. And so maybe. Maybe this one is. Uh, there's a lot more of this inclination towards towards video games. It's um, the sound design. I do. I like Jennifer Ken is just such an accomplished filmmaker. I mean, even though mm-hmm. relatively early in, in her feature career, um, she, it's, she's just so solid. Um, mm-hmm. And so she does. She thinks about visuals. She thinks about sound. She thinks about the ways that. And it's not just about fidelity. It's not just about these images would make these sounds. She really is trying to craft an emotional experience mm-hmm. for the audience, and, and uh, uh, in general, like granted, if you have a, a long time relationship with the screams in Mortal Kombat, then it might not land for you, right? You mm-hmm. know, it might not work out in quite the same way. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really well thought out, I think, and, and pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blair, any questions from the email? Nope, none. No email. Recommendations. <laughs> cool. <laughs> 
All right. Wanna... So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll st- we'll, we'll, let, we'll let Brian finish it off. I'll go first. Okay. Um, mine is a not horror, but uh, it's a short film by uh, Felix Colgrave. It was released about a month ago. It's called Double King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Felix Colgrave has been creating kind of like these animations that kind of exist on like the the quote unquote weird part of YouTube. Uh huh. It's like it's like early Newgrounds flash animations, uh-huh. but like they're good and he's good and he's making, and he's like really talented at animating uh-huh. and they're just like supremely funny and like weird kind of dark ways. Yeah. There's like, you just like there's laughs where you don't think there would be like, I, I got some genuine like belly laughs out of this and it's just, it's the, 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 the description on the YouTube, on the YouTube video just says a tale of love and regicide. And that just kind of sums it up in such an eloquent way. It's, it's it's not ten it's not even ten minutes long and it's phenomenal. I yeah. recommend it. It's amazing the way like the quality of animation he's produced. Yeah, yeah no, it's so good. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because it's been on my mind too. But my recommendation this week is um, the television the H uh, no it's Hulu's adaptation Hulu. of uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched a handful of episodes. I I love Margaret Atwood and I really like a lot of the actors that are in the show. I have not watched all of it yet but i it's profoundly depressing as you know as much as the book is perhaps more but um i think it's really well made and really well acted and if you if you like margaret atwood or if you like dystopian like like unique dystopian dystopias uh i would say check it out and who doesn't like dystopia Right, exactly. Really, right, especially in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get away from like the bright positivity of the world around me, and just like kind of just like dig deep into the dregs. Yes, yeah, the Care Bear stare of twenty-four hour news media. Right. <laughs> um, oh. Well, uh, I you know I thought about this, and of course this. Luna, I'm sure will tell you that, you know, this is one of the worst questions to ask, right, a, a professor. It's not, I know you're not asking favorite film, but uh, I, I know. Like, oh, I, 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 here are these I, eight I, films that I think you should see. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, I did, I took a we're not, we're not at, hard. We're not, by the way, we're not going to hard and fast limit you to one. If you got like two, you yeah. can go ahead and just, like list two. I'll give you, I'll give you three. Really quick. Three, okay. Um, okay, sure. Uh, so I, I think just as a like, your podcast probably should have it. And I think you guys would enjoy talking about it. Um, you should probably do Rosemary's Baby. Oh, right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I right. love Rosemary's Baby. I would love uh, to at some point. I would also add in something maybe less likely, but you, that you would have probably a great time talking about, is Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, I would consider it weird cinema. Um, it's probably not quite a horror film, but it's definitely strange, and, and mm-hmm. what's going on is not entirely you know, rational. Um, but then the we, one we, that, we play we play with a pretty hard and fast loose of horror here. Yeah, sure. We did Donnie Darko, and we're probably going to be doing Gremlins too at some point. Oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, but then the third, and this is this is the special treat, right? The asterisk special treat. Um, yeah. So Saul Bass's only directorial effort uh, that I know of um, is a, a sort of sci-fi horror film called Phase Four, mm-hmm. um, and it's about um, collective intelligence and ants. Cool. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's amazing visually uh, and uh, uh, sort of flies under the radar um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of 70s sci-fi horror, um, but really worth your time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, that's about the show. We're just about to wrap up. But uh, before we do that, um, 
I want to thank you again for being on the show. It was such a treat to have you on to have, you know, to talk about all this stuff. Like it's, it was genuinely like so much fun. Yeah. This was a real pleasure. I look forward to maybe a chance to do it again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Def- we'll definitely, we'll definitely try and work you in, work you back in sometime. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so if you have any, for the general audience, if you have any um, questions you'd like to send in or if any comments yep. you want to say or if you have corrections, <laughs> you can contact us uh, at fearbaiting.tumblr.com, at fearbaiting on Twitter or fearbaiting at gmail.com. Those all yep. work. Um, and Brian, you don't, do you have like a, uh, any social media or anything people can like check you out on? Or, or anything uh, you want to promote? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have anything that I'm promoting currently. I'm sort of, you know, still working on the book. Um, uh, maybe when that gets closer, I could come on again. And, and yeah, definitely. A uh, L- little promotion tour. I mean, you could always just like say, you know, uh, people are doing college. App- well, no, the applications are probably already out. But, you know, next year, come to Clarkson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's there's film to be done at Clarkson. And I'm definitely going to be here talking about weird fiction and weird cinema for, yeah. for a while. So. Uh, what I the would say, right? The birthplace of Nightmare on Elm Street. That yes, yes. If uh, if anybody has questions for me, they can certainly get in contact with Fear Baiting, and you guys can forward them to me. I'd be yep, happy to answer. Yep, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and um, you, that's. Oh yeah, go well, go ahead, Blair. You can find me at uh, bramblepelt.tumblr.com or uh, Twitter at Blair Kitch. Uh, you can find me at Chie Shadonaka on Twitter or Chie Satanakas.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening to Fear Bidding, everyone. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're going to have Brian say the line, which I'm going to put into chat right now. We'll cue you when you have to say this thing. <laughs> so, I'm Luna. I'm Blair. Go ahead. You can put a fucked up guy anywhere. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Good, Good night, night, everyone. <laughs>